Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits. This is your one-stop podcast for everything that has to do with uh, nonprofits and raising money out there in the highly competitive fundraising space. Now, my name is Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Ian Loth, the Director of Marketing for Winspire. And Ian, thanks for opening your studios to us here at Winspire in Orange County, California. Also joining me, Renee Zhao from Donation Match. Today... We're going to be talking golf, and who doesn't like golf? And I thought golf was a dying industry. I thought I read an article in a business magazine about a year ago, and it said that every couple of days there's a golf course closing in North America. I was very intrigued to find out from today's guest that, in fact, the charity golf tournament business is on an upward trend, is trending upward right now. We have one of the the top uh, uh, charity golf tournament producers in North America joining us. Her name is Holly Kennedy from Kennedy Golf Tournament and Event Planning based out of uh, San Diego. And I thought it was a great conversation we had with her. Absolutely. Yeah. Holly is just a tremendous, uh, tremendous advocate for nonprofits. She does about 12 events a year for uh, nonprofits here locally, but she shares some truly, truly groundbreaking ideas and just, uh, you know, some really amazing tips that you can take out there and use. Uh, if you're even considering running a, a golf event, she goes through all the details, the, um, you know, the ins and outs and, uh, and some really, uh, really cool, unique ideas. So, uh, listen up. I, I, I want to thank Renee for making the connection here to uh, bring Holly on board. Uh, I know, Renee, you, you've worked with her before. Is that right? Yes. So Holly is actually one of our clients at Donation Match, both as a donor company. Her golf course, Emerald Isle, is very generous to local charities in terms of donating rounds of golf and lessons. But she also, of course, is a professional event planner at PGA Pro. She is all about golf. <laughs> she She's on the board of directors for a local golf charity. So she has so much expertise from all around the fundraising space as uh, you know, from the charity and the donor side. So very excited to have her share her tips specific to golf tournaments to us today. And I must ask both of you, have you guys been to a golf tournament fundraiser? I know I have. Um, it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> what, the game? Yes, my game. Well, it's always embarrassing, but... Yeah, well, I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer, so I'm involved with uh, many tournaments throughout the year, but I never play. Yeah. don't want to get my energy down, and I don't. The last thing I want to do is be out there playing 18 holes of golf, drinking beer, and then trying to do a fundraising auction. Well, that's my favorite part, but yeah, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I'll tell you what, a little tip for our listeners today. If you're interested in getting yourself a free round of golf stay with us till the end and we'll tell you how that dream might come true let's get started right now holly kennedy from kennedy golf tournaments and event planning in san diego well very excited to have uh, holly kennedy with us on this episode of events with benefits and uh, holly is the owner of kennedy golf tournament and event planning so maybe holly you can begin by telling us a little bit about your business Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think this is um, a wonderful concept, and there's definitely a need for what you're doing, so I appreciate being a part of it. Um, I am born and raised in San Diego, California, and got into the golf business straight out of college. Um, started playing when I was eight years old, learned with my family, and had a chance to play at UCLA. And um, pretty much right out of UCLA, was able to get a job in the business. Um, I knew I wasn't going to end up <clears throat> playing professionally, so the business side of golf was definitely appealing. And 
I sort of fell right into tournament and event planning um, as pretty much my second job in the golf business and was able to make my way back down to San Diego in 1994 and um, set up camp at a wonderful resort in the East County of San Diego called Singing Hills and was there for 16 years and worked as the tournament director and became a member of the PGA of America. So I've been a PGA professional um, for 16 years and um, I just uh, had a chance to set up um, pretty much all of the tournament events for this resort. It was, um, we had 54 holes and 102 rooms in a hotel and a private membership. And we were doing over 300 events a year. So I had a lot of, uh, many years of boots on the ground tournament operations experience there at um, Singing Hills. And in uh, 2010, I ended up leaving the resort, and that was the birth of Kennedy Golf. I decided I was ready for a change, and my husband, who was also working at Singing Hills, uh, we both left together and started Kennedy Golf. And here we are today, um, getting close to celebrating six years of doing um, specifically golf tournament and event planning, mostly for nonprofits and charities, but also corporate groups and small um, social events as well. Well, very good. We'd like to know more about uh, where your world as a uh, golf tournament uh, event planner and the nonprofit world intersect. Definitely. Um, Well, as you probably know, many um, golf tournaments are um, they're for nonprofits and charities um, to raise money and I found that um, I would say 80% of the groups that I worked with when I was working at a golf course um, were trying to raise money. So um, when I left and started Kennedy Golf, it was sort of a natural fit for me, and and I started getting phone calls from groups, um, local groups in San Diego that had run tournaments where I was and said, you know, can you help us? run our tournaments and make them better. And um, I think that golf tournaments are a great way to raise money, but they're also very time-consuming. Um, they're very There's a lot of detail involved, and I think a lot of people underestimate the, the time it takes um, to put on a successful tournament. Um, so I, I have always loved the, the part of organizing and leading a team and um, kind of rallying the talents of people to for the greater good. And so it was a natural fit for me to work with nonprofits and charities, and there's so many in San Diego as well. So, so hold on, um, when you're doing a charity tournament, you're raising money for a nonprofit, where does the money that they ultimately are going to receive, where does that come from? Well, it comes from, there's, I always break it down for groups saying that there's three main areas we need to focus on, and that would be your players, your participants, um, your donations, whether that be in-kind or um, financial, and um, you need to, so players, donations, and sponsorships. And Yes, so there's, there's, there's those three arms of tournament planning. Um, have to you have to look at those at all times, and you have to without without players, obviously, you can't have a tournament, and you need donations to be able to uh, increase 
the the value add um, for those events, whether that be through gifts for the players or through raffle or auction. And then the icing on the cake is sponsorships. Um, so any kind of financial donations that you can receive to help underwrite the cost of a golf tournament, those are the three areas that um, I, I have committees focus on. And what are your thoughts on incorporating uh, an auction component uh, with the tournament, either a silent or live auction? Well, that's a good question. Um, is I think that uh, one thing that groups underestimate is the importance of uh, the types of items that you have and how to put together um, whether an item is, is, is maybe qualifies as a raffle-type prize or an opportunity drawing or if it's actually big enough and has enough value to be an auction item. Um, I see a lot of groups try to just sort of ham and egg donations and gifts that they receive to create an auction item, and, and there really isn't the value um, or, or sort of the uniqueness um, to make that item something that people want to bid a lot of money on. <clears throat> so Winspire, for example, they focus on trips and um, amazing golf trips and those sort of things that have a high dollar value that um, are experiences, something that people may not be able to get their hands on or, or, or be a part of, um, get a chance to, to go on certain trips and that sort of thing. So items that are unique in that way, um, those are those are very important to sort of categorize them, determine what the dollar value is. And then when necessary, you can always combine items to create a bigger value item. Mm -hmm. I try and I try and get our groups to think about auction items, you know, starting at a value of at least two hundred and fifty dollars um, so that you have the chance to actually make some money on that item. If you're trying to auction an item that market value is only, say, $50, um, you can kind of see where I'm going with that. It's not necessarily going to be something that you have a lot of potential to make a lot of money on. Exactly, and the the, the purpose of having a, a, a tournament is is to raise as much money as possible for the particular charity or nonprofit. Uh, what percentage of your golf tournaments would have a silent or live auction? Well, right now, um, with with my company still being somewhat new, um, five to six years in, I'm running about 12 events a year. And at this time, um, I would say all but maybe one or two do incorporate an auction of some sort. Um, I have a couple of clients that have, um, their events have been longstanding. So they have a great following. They have a lot of um, corporate participation. And those events will have upwards of um, sometimes 60, 60 silent auction um, and anywhere from five to eight live auction. Uh, and then I have other groups that just focus on maybe three live auction items. Oh, and right. are, I was just going to say, let's, let's maybe talk for a moment about the flow of the day. So the golfers are uh, showing up, I guess, typically in the morning uh, for tee-off. Uh, they've played a full 18 holes. Uh, they're tired. They're coming in off the golf course. And how does how does it flow from that point on? 
Well, the flow of the day is extremely important because the, the, the player, the customer's um, experience has to be great from the moment they step onto the property. And everyone knows that golf tournaments do, they are, it's a long day. It's an entire day uh, of planning and uh, an entire day of an experience for, for the guests. So um, jumping to the end of the day, um, I think it's very important to make sure that everything has been coordinated down to the minute with the golf course. Um, so that starts with before the players even come off the golf course, making sure that your event person um, is communicating with the golf shop and letting the catering department know our, our group has maybe 20, 30 minutes left. You know, let's prepare for them to get off the golf course in a certain amount of time. And as soon as players are off the course, we need to quickly get scoring done. Um, so that's coordination with the golf staff there. Um, get the guests into the venue, whether it be an outdoor or indoor venue, um, whether you have started your silent auction during registration, which a lot of groups do, and then carried it into the post-event. That's something that has to be coordinated. <clears throat> and then making sure that you have your evening program or your post-event program timed out, again, down to the minute is just key. Sticking with that timeline, getting everyone in, eating, and your program started, and having that flow continue. You never want to have gaps in between because the next thing you know, players have finished around after four and a half, sometimes five and a half hours, and three hours later, you still haven't gotten to your auction or your awards or whatever that timeline may be. Not to mention the fact that they've probably been eating and drinking their way through the entire tournament all day long. Yeah, lots of times we're dealing with warm weather or hot weather issues. They're coming in. They're fairly, uh, they're fairly beat up already. Um, I'm speaking now as a professional benefit auctioneer, fundraising auctioneer, I have the privilege to work a number of major golf tournaments a year, and I know I never want it to be a long auction experience. So mm -hmm. what's your advice as to how many live auction items would be appropriate for a golf tournament, a charity tournament? Sure. Um, well, and, and it is, it's important to distinguish between a golf tournament, charity auction, and then just, say, a gala auction where everyone has come to a party. Um, the, 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 the main focus of the event is the auction and maybe a paddle raise and, and all the fundraising with golf. You have people that have just finished, as we said earlier, five hours of activity, and there is a dinner, and there is some fundraising that's going on, but there's also awards, and there's contests, and there's the whole golf component that has to be included. So with golf tournaments, um, I have seen the most successful ones stay somewhere in the you know four, no more than six live auction. Um, and as far as silent goes, um, that can be anywhere from 10 to maybe 25. Those, that seems to be the two ranges for me with golf tournaments that help keep the event on a good timeline and you don't lose the interest of your audience and you're still able to make a lot of money. So, Holly, I uh, just want to ask you a question about getting in-kind donations. We hear that, that phrase all the time. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, in-kind donations are items that come from, that are, that are not dollars, they're not, um, they have a dollar value, of course, but it's not cash. 
So um, I my company uses this amazing company here in San Diego called Donation Match, and um, it is sort of a communication center for nonprofits and charities to be able to connect with local businesses and get items donated for their events. So whether that be um, a gift certificate or um, some sort of some sort of item that the company offers, um, I, there's one that I love is a um, it's uh, like a water sports company, and you can get you can get a trip for six or eight people to go out on a little boat on a lagoon. You know, all sorts of um, photography um, sessions, all sorts of different companies like that, and the donation match um, literally matches up. Um, a nonprofit with a company and helps them get items. And it's free to set up an account. Um, they have upgraded options where you can, um, you know, get additional items for a, a very reasonable, affordable um, annual fee um, and basically submit requests for unlimited numbers of donat- donated items. Um, but it's definitely worth a look-see, and I am proud to refer all of my clients that I work with and have them set up accounts so that they can request items. And also, um, owning my golf course, Emerald Isle Golf Course, we are a company that works with Donation Match to give donations to nonprofits and charities. So I get to work um, with Donation Match on both sides, but it is bar none um, the smartest and um, and, and most effective way, I think, um, for nonprofits and charities to be able to get items uh, literally with the click of a keyboard. Very cool. Well, it's nice that, uh, you know, nowadays there are so many excellent resources available uh, in the nonprofit sector, and Donation Match certainly one of the best. So appreciate you sharing that tip with us. Speaking of uh, auctions and auction items, um, <clears throat> what would you say are some of the most popular, and you touched on earlier as well, just the importance of having experiential items, um, mm-hmm. but you know, as it pertains to golf tournaments specifically, are there certain types of experiential items that people should focus on when uh, they're selecting their live and silent auction items? I yeah, would think definitely. maybe trips to Ireland to go golf in yeah, Ireland. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the Windspire. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, just uh, last week, uh, about a week ago, I had the pleasure of selling a Windspire trip to Ireland that included golf and all kinds of – I'm not much of a golfer, but I know this mm-hmm. is a, a chance to go play some of the most famous links in Ireland, and it sold for huge money. Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing that I think is important to remember, um, just because you're having a golf tournament, it doesn't mean that your auction items need to be golf-specific. In fact, I'm seeing a trend in the opposite direction where definitely a golf trip um, will always be something that is of interest and value and can raise good money because you you have an audience of golfers. So, um, as you said, a trip to Ireland, absolutely. Um, a trip possibly to Palm Desert, where that is a, a golf mecca on the West Coast, um, that that would be a great item as well. But I think that um, finding experiences such as um, specific here to San Diego, a day at the racetrack and getting um, box seats at the racetrack with dinner in a restaurant, um, things that people love to do but don't necessarily spend the money on themselves to do. Those are the things to think about. Um, trips to maybe a timeshare up in Big Bear or in a, you know, a local ski area. Um, any kind of uh, um, like trips out on the water. There's um, San Diego has such a wonderful 
um, water. There's so many things to do out on the water. So there's um, cruises that you can, dinner cruises you can take. So restaurants and um, family activities, um, going to the zoo, Disneyland, all those types of things um, I, I have found have been much more successful than just sticking with the typical you know, drivers from the club manufacturers, you know, maybe a driver or a set of iron. Those will always go in well, but if you can package them in with something else that's not necessarily golf, um, I've seen a lot more success. We found at uh, golf tournaments up in my neck of the woods, uh, the vice items seem to be very popular. The fine scotch collections and the wine, yes. the wine trees and the uh, cigar selections uh, whatnot seem to be very popular at the golf tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also important to think about, because um, golf tournaments do tend to attract more men than women. Um, there is just in general, knowledge in the business, more men golf than women do. However, a lot of men have significant others that would maybe like to um, come and experience, you know, whether it be a wine tasting trip or um, I had an event recently that had a personal shoe shopping experience. So oh, they yeah. were able to go, yep, to one of the, um, you know, the high retail um, type shops in a really nice boutique and, and have a shoe shopping experience. So there's so many different things out there that, um, that include, that are, are much more all-inclusive and not just um, the male golfer specific item that, um, that really do draw in more of an audience. And that also gives you an opportunity to market your auction and your dinner to the non-golfers, whether it be spouses or people that don't golf at all. And buy, set a price point ticket for, the, uh, for dinner and sell dinner tickets and promote those items that you have that the non-golfers would like. And that right there is an automatic um, up on your on the headcount and um, an opportunity to raise more money. So Holly, I, that was exactly what I was about to ask you about. Uh, are there any logistics about that or recommendations when you do want to include those partners or friends of golfers who aren't necessarily interested in playing golf, but certainly want to come to the party afterward? You know, it really is as simple as just including that on your promotional collateral. Um, and, and, and what I what I recommend our groups do is just write underneath where there's they can either whether it's online or they're or they're actually writing out um, their information on an entry form. Have a little box that says "Don't golf, but would like us would like to join us for dinner," and then you set your price point for that dinner ticket. So seventy five dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever it is, you have to figure out during the budget process when you're setting up your event, how much you're expecting to make off of um, the entries for players and then also your dinner guests only. Um, but it is, it's as simple as that. And then making sure that you are communicating with your player database um, leading up to the event, um, reminding them, hey, headcount is due by this date. Um, please make sure you've reserved your space for your dinner guests. And you just track it like you would a normal tournament entry. So, Holly, can and or should you charge a premium on your entry fee when there is a charity component to the event? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the entry fee really is going to be the, the, the most important component when you're putting your, your budget together um, because your players are – they are the core of, 
the money that you're raising for this event. And if you do not have the players, you can't get the sponsors and you can't have a golf tournament. So um, that, you know, how much to mark up is, is very, it's very specific to every, every group I work with. We have to sit down and look at a budget. We have to determine who, who is your audience and what can they afford. Um, I have a lot of groups that are, they have an audience and they have um, a database of people that support their charity, but these people aren't necessarily in a position to be writing a check for $500 or $1,500 to play in a tournament, but they, they are maybe in the $250. That might be their cap um, as far as what they can spend to, to participate in an event. So going through that budget is so important before you do anything at all, even before you pick a date. You need to sit down with a committee, determine how much money it is that you're trying to raise, and then how much you think you can ask your participants to pay. And that's, that's the first step in doing the budget. Okay. One thing we wanted to ask as well uh, is a paddle raise, uh, often called a fund-a-need, fund-an-item, uh, cash appeal, special appeal. Uh, do you mm-hmm. recommend doing paddle raises to uh, raise extra money for the charities or nonprofits uh, at the golf tournament event? Sure, I, I think I think so, but I also would say that it's not a fit for every event. Um, it's I've seen it go both ways, and it's um, it really is. It's something that's that that is individual to the group. I think that if the audience um, at that particular golf tournament um, participates in other events that the charity does, where there is a paddle raise or it is something that they're familiar with. Um, and they're expecting, then it's something that you can consider doing. Um, but I have seen groups that have tried to, um, especially first-time groups, that have tried to layer in a paddle raise on top of an auction and on top of an opportunity drawing, and it just didn't get the momentum that it needed. And as, as you all know, there's nothing more cringeworthy than sitting in a room when there is someone asking for money and no one's raising their hand. So. I think it's um, I think it's a great idea, but it is something that the committee has to sit down again. Look at the audience. Who's going to be in that room? What is their um, what is what is their capability to give? And then you can decide from there. Very good, cringeworthy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a great phrase. Uh, let's talk a little bit very quickly here, just about trends in your industry as far as uh, charity golf tour- or golf tournaments and and the type of event planning that you do. What are you What are you seeing out there for trends right now? Well, um, I have to say that there's um, I, I see a lot of. I see a lot of activity on the golf course and that's what's kind of fun about golf tournaments is that there are so many mini fundraising opportunities within the big fundraiser of the golf tournament itself. So whether that be running certain contests on the course, um, selling what I call a game package as opposed to a mulligan package. Um, I like to say game package because mulligans sometimes carry with it uh, that phrase carries with it the connotation of longer longer time on the golf course, people cheating. So we call it a game package, and you can still filter in mulligans into that package to create some value there. Um, but um, there's, I, I think that um, one thing that's important to do is to not nickel and dime your guests. So I always <clears throat> recommend to my clients that they come up with 
obviously we know how much money we want to raise and we want to come up with a really fun experience, but hit everyone on the front end with uh, the game package or whatever it is that you decide you want to call it. And then within that, once they purchase that for either 50 or $100, um, they, the players get to experience all these fun things on the golf course as opposed to getting to a hole and every other hole saying, okay, buy $5 here and we'll hit a drive for you or $10 here and you're going to get to hit inside the circle. Uh, all these different things out there. You want to you package it in uh, to one buy at the beginning and then the players get through this whole day and they think, wow, that was great, and they've almost forgotten about what they spent right before they went out. That is that brilliant. That makes sense. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. What, a, what a great idea. That's a wonderful takeaway. I, I yeah, some, I think... I, I have some questions. Could could you maybe... I know people would uh, just be dying to know uh, some of the specific games. You, you kind of glossed over there real quick just a few of the specific games that you have within a game package. Can you maybe bring to light a few other examples that you include? Yeah, sure. Well, um, what's been fun for me is working with um, all these different groups and seeing the creativity that is that has come out of them. Um, I have uh, I have one group that um, they they did they did this great um, contest called Roll the Dice, and they went out and they found these giant inflatable dice. And so when the players got up to this hole, they could roll a dice. And depending on if they got, you know, one through six, they could go up and hit from the red tees. And if they got, you know, a different combination or, you know, um, a pair or something like that, we set markers up at the um, 150-yard um, line, and they could go up to the 150 marker and hit their drive from there. And so it was kind of just a fun way for the players to – interact with the staff from this charity and um, and then also get the benefit of possibly getting a lower score on the hole because they were able to hit their drives from closer to the green um, than all the way back. And this was done on a par five. So something like that um, was kind of fun and unique. There's always the, um, the typical closest to the pin and longest drive, straightest drive, closest, uh, longest putt. Um, and I've also... Um, I've had a couple of groups do what's called guess guess your distance. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but um, it no, does, does involve some. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It involves some um, volunteer support, but essentially you'll have someone on the tee box with uh, a range finder, and so or you know yardage finder. I, I want to make sure I'm using language that everyone understands, but um, they'll be standing on the tee box and you can actually have someone, um, say that the player will then guess how far they think they're going to hit their drive. So let's say, I think I'm going to hit my drive 200 yards. Well, the player hits their ball and you can use this range finder and you have someone out else out in the fairway who then goes to where the ball ends up and you're able to measure the distance that the player, um, actually hit their drive. And so you can keep a tally during the day of um, which players actually guessed the distance of their drive or got close to it and award them a prize either on the spot or at the end of the day. So that's something that I've seen um, seen some groups do, and, and that's been pretty fun. I love it. That's a g both great examples. Um, I'd be curious to uh, tell me a little bit about some of the prizes that you uh, – you end up giving some of these players, what are the different levels? You know, I know that there's a lot of different winners when it comes to all these mini games. How do you manage all mm -hmm. of that? 
Yeah, well, that's another part of the um, of the budget planning process that I talk to my groups about because you want to have as you want the players to have the opportunity to win as much as possible, but you want to spend as little as possible on giving them those prizes. So this is a great opportunity to have whether it be um, a beverage company or um, any kind of company come out and participate as one of your contests or game sponsors. So uh, we might have, let's say, you know, an insurance company come out and they are going to sponsor your guess the distance of your drive contest. And that, that insurance company then provides maybe a $50 gift certificate or gift card to a restaurant. Um, I think the fun thing about doing those kind of contests out there is that people aren't expecting to win big, you know, big money items. But if you do something like a gift card to Starbucks or a restaurant or a nice bottle of wine or, as you mentioned earlier, whiskey, you know, anything like that um, that's sort of an indulgent um, gift of sorts, um, anything like that, those are things that are easy to get donated. So as, as I send committees out, uh, to go and get items for opportunity drawing and, and any sort of in-kind donation. As we get closer to the, the, the day of the event, I'll sit down with them and say, all right, let's look at our list of donated items. All right, this is a wine basket that you got that's um, pretty nice, but maybe not high enough to be in an auction. Let's go ahead and use that for your straightest drive contest. Um, let's use this gift card for your longest drive, that sort of thing. Very good. So I, I would imagine it's. I would imagine Holly, it's easier to go out and get the sponsors and donors more excited, uh, more easily excited, if they know that their donation is attached to something specific like this. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> and you can provide them with um, nice recognition and signage. Um, that's something else that's really important to do. Is um, you, you want to create value add for your players, but also for your supporters and your sponsors. So having signage for them on the tee box, um, letting them know that they're, they will be listed on the tournament website or on the, um, the, the group, the nonprofit's website as, as a sponsor. And, um, of course, recognizing them possibly on the rule sheet that the players receive when they get in their golf carts. On hole number two, this contest sponsored by and having the company's name or logo. Um, making sure that those those sponsors are front and center as much as possible. That creates a lot of value add for them, and year to year, they're going to want to come back and be a part of it, knowing that their name's going to be out there. Fantastic. Well, anytime we're talking about fundraising, we, we like to focus on what we call the three E's of a successful fundraising event, and that's entertain, engage, and extract the money. And that really is the beauty <laughs> Of a uh, of a golf tournament that's attached to a, a nonprofit. Yes, absolutely. I mean, those are you, if if you do a tournament well and you plan and you plan properly, you will hit the mark on all those three E's. Yeah, absolutely. Good. It's good for our listeners to remember too that the number one reason they've done lots of surveys in this area, but the number one reason that people choose to attend any type of fundraising event, be it a gala or a golf tournament, uh, is not you. You you might assume the 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 number one reason is they want to support the cause, but in fact, the research and studies have shown the number one reason they buy a ticket to attend is to have fun. So yes. we just. Really love these ideas you've shared with us here today, Holly. Uh, where can people get a hold of you if they want more information on organizing a charity or nonprofit golf tournament? 
Oh, sure. Well, um, there is my website, which is www.kennedy-golf.com. Um, and my email address is holly at kennedy-golf.com. And I did want to mention that um, any anyone that has a question about golf tournaments and or is thinking about doing one, we Kennedy Golf provides a free consultation, either in person if that's possible, or over the phone. And uh, there's no time limit to that. I'm more than happy to share, you know, a lot of the best practices that I've picked up from these amazing groups that I've worked with and their success stories. And um, we're, we're, we're just really, our company is all about helping people do it right and do it well and also make sure it's something that they want to do and they will be able to do because there's nothing worse than trying to run a golf tournament and getting to that day and realizing it's all falling apart. <laughs> well, Holly, what you have, your secret sauce, obviously, is that you have the success system. And we remember whenever we look at any kind of a successful business or company, they always have a system. And uh, certainly it sounds like you've got an excellent one. Well, thank you so much. It's um, definitely a labor of love and um, something that I hope we'll be able to continue doing um, for the rest of our careers. All right. Well, keep up the good work out there, and I hope I get to see you on a course. Oh, quickly, before we go, just wanted to talk about uh, venues. Like, I think a, a lot of nonprofits or charities might uh, be under the misconception that you have to have a golf tournament at a big, expensive country club. Yes, um, that's that's a very good point, and um, picking the right venue is so important, and, and it does tie back to uh, to the group's budget, and again, to how much money they're trying to raise and how much they think they can charge their participants. And um, I I do own a um, an executive course, which is, is um, for those that aren't familiar with executive courses, that means that our course has all par threes and a couple par fours. And there's a number of wonderful short courses in San, throughout San Diego and, and all over the country, too. And it is worth looking at an executive course to run a tournament, and especially if it's your first tournament and you're not quite sure how many players you're going to get and you really don't know how much money you, you can raise. Um, your costs to do an event in an executive course are going to be substantially lower. And so... That right, that in itself um, is a huge help because you can still run a fun and successful event and have an entry fee um, with a markup that still allows you to raise um, a good amount of money. But you, the financial, um, the cost to actually run the event are much less. So something to consider and um, more than happy to talk further about that with anyone who would like to explore that idea. Holly Kennedy, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you here today and your company, uh, Kennedy Golf Tournament and Event Planning. And once again, what was that website? Yes, it's www.kennedy-golf.com. And we'll have more information uh, provided in the show notes that you guys can access as well. Um, Holly, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Danny and Ian. It was great. And Renee, I appreciate all of you and um, what you're doing. And I'm here to help in any way I can. Can we come play some golf with you? Please. I would love to. Any, any of you are welcome to come. And in fact, um, if, I, if I can, I'd love to extend an offer to any of your listeners that are in San Diego or may visit San Diego. If you would like to come and play my executive golf course, it's called Emerald Isle in Oceanside, California. 
and I'd love to have you play as my guest. So feel free to call me or email me. Ah, uh, you might regret that you offered that. <laughs> been great talking to you, Holly. Thanks, and keep up your good work out there. You are certainly doing more than your share to make a difference in the world of, of fundraising. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Events with Benefits. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please, please rate us wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to share this with anyone you think it can help. You can find more information about our guest and resources in the show notes at www.eventswithbenefits.com. And please stay tuned for more episodes coming up very, very soon. Thanks all, and we look forward to seeing you next time.